This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Happy Monday and welcome back to the WOMED. And happy International Women's Day! We get to celebrate women's badassery, especially hard today. If you haven't yet checked out becomeunlocked.com, I encourage you to do so. Unlocked is a local Nashville jewelry company employing women transitioning out of homelessness. They have so many beautiful pieces available on their website. My favorite, of course, being the ones that I personally designed with the WOMED community in mind. Don't forget to check out the WOMED on Patreon as well. I thought that would be a fun space to go more in depth with the community, with monthly live Q&A sessions and discussions but also a way to offer you ad-free and early access to episodes. We had our first Q&A session uh, last week. Well, two weeks ago, I guess now when this is going to be hitting your ears. But it was so much fun. I really, I loved getting to connect with everybody on there. So I want to talk to more of you. So join me on Patreon. On this special day and this special week, I am pleased to feature Dr. Vania Manapod, formerly Freud and Fashion on Instagram. Vania is a psychiatrist and speaker, empowerer, yes, I'm making up words now, and fellow matcha connoisseur. I hope you love this episode, but first, time for that NDE. All right, I'm bringing you the nursey energy again this week. And honestly, I'm still on a high from having the first Q&A session on Patreon. And I was scared that no one would join, but it was, but people did. Um, And it was so fun getting to answer questions and just chat and get to know some of you more. I'm excited with where I'm at right now. And I keep getting asked about different opportunities. And the opportunity I keep coming back to being the most excited about is this wound ostomy program. It just feels really good to be pumped about something Kind of like I'm coming home to myself and what I'm supposed to be doing, if that makes any sense. But please keep sending me your NDE moments. DM them to me on the WOMED. I love to read and share them. And truthfully, you just don't know who you're going to affect with these moments, who you're going to encourage with them. So keep sharing them. Dr. Manipod, welcome to the WOMED. I'm so excited to have you here. And it's almost International Women's Day. And it will be actually when this episode airs. I'm really excited for that. But I guess off the bat, how are you going to celebrate? I am going to actively participate <laughs> in the campaign. I love the the theme. I think it's hashtag choose to challenge. Oh, okay. Yeah, I saw that on the website. So I, oh, every year I try and think, what can I do to promote that day? And the goal is to encourage women and men to kind of like post different ways that they plan to challenge and call out uh, gender bias and inequality when they see it. And in my opinion, it's also kind of trying to find ways that we could each try and figure out, you know, look within also, because I know competition among women is pretty common also to kind of think about if there's times that prevent us from trying to promote other women's accomplishments, like what is going on within us to overcome that? Because really we're stronger together. 
So got to figure that out. We really are. And, you know, it's something that I've I've struggled with, too. You know, um, I've I've felt threatened, you know, before about different women, you know, coming into this space and starting podcasts. And I'm like, why am I so threatened? Like there's Mm -hmm. room for all of us. This totally goes against what I'm trying to do here. So, no, like just changing that within myself, too, has been really cool growth wise and just to try and make space for other women. Right. But I will say it's it's kind of a struggle, at least, you know, with well, that I've been dealing with in my, you know, DMs, especially during the whole election, stuff like that, is if I don't like someone else's <laughs> views and they happen to be a woman, I get attacked with, well, I thought you supported all women. And it's like right. that that's that's not what that's not what it means. Like <laughs> You cannot like what someone stands for and you can be vocal about that. (laughs) Right. Exactly. You're not you're not alone on this, actually, because it's (laughs) something that I've done the work on, even in therapy to kind of figure out why, why do I get so down Mm -hmm. or upset if I see someone who's doing more like another woman who's doing more than me? Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of some if if we're going to elevate others, then that's just we got to do the work. Right. Right to figure that out. Right. I will also say, this is, sometimes I get on tangents, but I saw that you are a fellow matcha lover and (laughs) I am too. I have, I make my own matcha every single day. And what's your favorite milk to put in a matcha latte? I love that question. I, (laughs) I, I love like the plant milk. So there's so much better oat milk. They are. And I don't get the stomach ache. So I like oat milk, but I also combine it sometimes with cashew or macadamia. Ooh. Okay. I might have to try that. I've combined oat and coconut before, and that's really lovely. Yes. I do that sometimes too. It's nice to mix it up every now and then. It is. But I feel like they give you like this even better, nuttier, like creamier, just, oh, it's so good. It's just really good. Yeah, I love that you're a matcha lover. So, okay, can I ask one question? Yes, and then please. I, I will leave it because I can go on tangents on matcha also. Yeah. What is your favorite matcha powder? The The tea shop that I was getting my um, matcha from got demolished in the tornado and I haven't been able oh. to get it um, in no over a year. So I will like, there. Oh, what's the brand of it? I found it on Amazon. It's in a little white tin. But it's uh-huh. like a ceremony. There's so many. There's so many. But ones that I hate, it's like, I think it's like the Sun Power brand or something. Oh. It was like, it was like almost yellow. I was like, this is not like green tea. This tastes like dirt. <laughs> right. <laughs> this is so funny. And for all of you, this is mental health related because matcha um, has some benefits on lessening anxiety compared to coffee. So. It's relevant. It does. It makes me so calm. And I never fully understood because I've never been a coffee drinker. I never understood what drove people in the mornings to be like, don't talk to me until I've had my coffee, you know, or like when they just take that first sip and they're like, oh, it's so delicious because it's never been delicious to me. I hate I like <laughs> anything coffee flavored, Kahlua, mocha ice cream, like tiramisu. I don't like it because I don't like the flavor. But once, so <laughs> but once the matcha hits my lips and I'm like, oh, okay, this must be what it's like. 
because this just yeah, feels so calming. Soothing. It is calming. And I have to admit, though, right before the podcast, I did drink espresso. <laughs> That's fine. I don't judge <laughs> To give me a jolt. <laughs> to give me a little bit of a jolt and boost because it's a Monday. It is a Monday. I had to ask myself this morning, too, because one of my friends was like, yeah, I start my new job on Monday. And I was like, it's Monday. Why are you talking to me? <laughs> right. Trying to get over that Monday type mood, the Monday blues, trying to make it not so much of a thing, but it's hard it is. not to be after the weekend. It is. I've always right. tried to, at least like with nursing and, and still now, I always work to give myself Monday off mm-hmm. because it just feels better. And mm-hmm. obviously it's not an off, it's not, it's never an off day for me. It's, I'm usually using this day to record or um, prep for podcasts, research new guests, stuff like that. But it's also stuff that I enjoy doing and relaxing yeah. in. So, right. Yeah. I also love what you share in social media. I love how you bring light to like the comparison game because especially on social media and with, you know, International Women's Day, like it's normal for women to, well, it shouldn't be normal, but, you know, we have that comparison game even within ourselves and someone reaching something else, you know, but I mean, I really get caught in that comparison game so much. And over the last year, I've watched myself lose 33,000 followers and, and counting since speaking up about things like COVID and race and the election and sharing things to help educate, which arguably like people who aren't interested or don't agree with will unfollow. Uh And my whole following is primarily, it's a lot of bachelor people. So like, they're like, well, she's not posting about bachelor stuff. I don't want to listen to this. Like, that's not what I came here for. Fine. Uh Whatever. I get that. But I mean, I think it's starting to plateau, but my, you know, engagement is all over the place. And I look at other Bachelor contestants because, you know, like I said, that's where the majority of my following came from. And I just don't have the energy to put into social media what they do. It's like, it feels like an exaggerated or like overshare of their daily life where they just have this massive platform and they stay quiet and in effect not to lose followers. And so I get Mm -hmm. caught in that comparison too. But right. I love your account though. Well, thank because, you. Yeah, because you're multifaceted. You're you do podcasts, you're a businesswoman and you're a nurse. So you have all these different passions and you're trying to educate and help people. So I, I follow some of people who are on I, I've watched The Bachelor and Bachelorette since the very first season. And I've eventually oh, yeah. just kind of okay. unfollowed some of them because I want to see other sides of somebody mm-hmm. than just kind of what they feel their followers want to see. So that's why I, I really like yours. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate <laughs> that so much. And I feel like especially now with, you know, the turning point in social media becoming such a place not only to share products and stuff that you're using, obviously, but, you know, it's it's a place for social and like civil rights movements are starting to happen mm-hmm. and stuff on here. and. It's, it's taxing. It's a lot of work, but I mean, if you're given this platform, even if it's from the bachelor, like I've, at least I personally feel like, like I need to speak up on this, on these Mm -hmm. different things. So uh, I feel like it's my responsibility. Exactly. 
And I feel like it's just more sustainable if you feel like you're being true to yourself, because mm-hmm. as we all know, social media can be pretty detrimental for our mental health. I mean, there's a lot more studies coming out on that. So if you kind of feel like you're just posting what you think other people want to post, it's just going to get really draining and exhausting to the point where mm-hmm. you're just not going to be as consistent. Yeah. And I haven't been. I'm more consistent. I feel like in my stories, but Mm-hmm. It's it's a job. <laughs> it's, Most definitely. It's really frustrating. I think another frustrating point about social media, I guess definitely with, with COVID, is I, I just feel like I keep getting mad at my friends because I see them going out and like posting or hosting these like massive Bible studies in their homes because, you know, they're tired and they want to go back to normal. But it just makes me feel more isolated, I think, because I'm trying to do my part and stay home and not potentially spread, you know, COVID and all the strains and stuff that are emerging. And have you seen much of that, like, like with your, your clients or, or a shift in, you know, friendship dynamics? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and again, you're not alone on that too, because I think I'm more, definitely more in line with your perspective and trying to do everything you can to protect yourself Mm -hmm. and other people around you, right? Right. What I have seen, and I, so I live in Orange County, California, um, where a lot of, in the beginning, my county was definitely criticized for not following public health guidelines. Mm -hmm. But most of the patients that I treat are in Orange County. And it kind of shows me that what's showed in the media, definitely there's a lot of people who don't follow the rules. But then when I meet with my patients and and friends, they're definitely more on the spectrum of being cautious Mm -hmm. and following guidelines. So I think definitely there's going to be people. And and I think that there was like surveys and stuff like that, that showed that people definitely are a greater percentage actually follows the guidelines, but it's still maybe that one person you see on social media who's having <laughs> like a group gathering or something like that. Or maybe you come across one anti-masker that like totally ruins it for it you, right? Does. It's like, yes. And I don't know why you just like hold on to that and single that out. Like I could have, and it's the same with like comments and stuff too, right? Like I could, you know, be being like built up with like empowering comments. And then someone's like, your nose is really big. Or why are you talking about this? You know, and you're like, that is my nose. And it just cuts you. Yes. that's Well, that's like kind of our human tendency to sense threat, right? But yeah, going back to the whole seeing other people and what they're doing when you're trying to do your best Mm -hmm. to keep yourself safe and others and follow public health guidelines. I always tell people just, because I have, I've struggled with this myself, right? So I'm just like you, where there's only certain, number one, there's only certain things we can control within ourselves, which is, okay, I'm going to follow guidelines and do what I feel is for the best, considering what the public health experts are recommending and our line of work. And then two, also kind of like picking your battles, right? Like if there's somebody who's on the total opposite side of the spectrum, who is an anti-masker, you know, going out to like parties and all this stuff and posting it, is it something that you, where you think your opinion is really going to shift 
what they do. Most right. likely not. Right. But then you're going to come across people that you care about who's maybe kind of like maybe more open to hearing your opinion. So maybe those are the type of people where you will try mm-hmm. and kind of encourage them. But just knowing that um, there's only so much you can control when it comes to other people's beliefs. And I think seeing how people respond to the pandemic was really telling. And I, I think a lot of people have either lost some friends or restricted some friends at least and kind of tried to block out their posts where they're out and about. I will say the mute button has has helped me set some boundaries. Oh gosh, yes, I do the same. Yeah. Hold up. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. And now back to the show. Well, Vania, what made your career path light bulb, I guess, go off for psychiatry? When I was in medical school, I had no idea what I wanted to do as far as my specialty. You know, there's there's always, I feel like there's always medical students and doctors or people in the medical field who kind of know this is the specialty that I want to go into. Mm -hmm. But I actually didn't even want to become a physician for the longest time, (laughs) (laughs) which is totally different because it's a different story. I tell people I did not want to become a physician, but I, I did. Why go to med school then? Oh, it's, it's kind of goes back to just coming from a a strict Asian family um, and it just being the expectation Mm. because I'm actually the oldest of 33 grandchildren and wow yeah it's a lot my (laughs) my grandma had 11 children oh my goodness yeah so you had a lot of expectations definitely being the oldest so my grandpa who was he was the principal of the school uh, in the Philippines he put a lot, invested a lot of time in me and said, you're going to be the first physician of our family in our, in like in the group of grandchildren. You're <laughs> going to be the first physician grandchild. No pressure, Gramps. <laughs> right, not at all. But I fought that for the longest time because I actually wanted to be a newscaster for the longest time. Oh, that'd be amazing. But yeah, I've been fortunate to com- kind of combine some mm-hmm. some of the TV and news type stuff into my career. but. When I um, would just tell him, I don't want to be this, but I still did everything that was expected of me and did everything expected to get into medical school. And actually, when I was sitting for the MCAT, which is the the entrance exam that you're required to take to apply to medical school, Mm -hmm. that's when I found out that my grandpa actually passed away during (sighs) while I was taking the test. Yeah. So that was the worst feeling. And once I kind of got over the overwhelming grief associated with that because I really looked up to my grandpa. I finally realized that once the pressure was lifted off of me, that I was just really just fighting the cultural expect and familial expectation. And I actually wanted to be a doctor. Yeah. But sometimes when you're pressured to do something, you're so caught up with the expectation and the pressure that you kind of forget that you do have a choice and what you want to do. And that was when I realized, oh, you know, I actually do want to be a physician because I think this is probably the best way. I can not only honor my family and my grandfather, but probably help people the most Mm -hmm. um, in this world. So when I was in medical school and we're doing all these different rotations in OB-GYN and surgery, internal medicine and all that, I was always the one that got 
the patients who have a history of psychiatric issues because I actually really enjoyed talking to them and finding out more about their history. So I remember even during surgery rotation, it would be pre-op and I'm just supposed to get, you know, vitals and just make sure they're stable and prep them for, you know, their surgery. And I would my attendings would say, what are you doing? You've been in here for way too long. I was asking them about their history. I was asking them about their family and all that stuff. So that's kind of when I knew, I think I'm supposed to get to know people just beyond their current medical complaints and actually really delve into family history and psychological history. And that's how I can best help them. So that's how I knew. That's awesome. I love that. What was school like then for that? So you do have to go through clinical like hospital rotations and then you have Mm -hmm. your residency then in um, psychiatry or? Yes. Okay. So after medical school, you have one year of internship where you're basically rotating through all the different departments and then three years. Well, so it is a total of four years after medical school. That's um, mostly geared towards that's geared towards psychiatry. And then after that, if you want to do fellowship, like child psychiatry, there's like a year or two more after that because there's other fields like special subspecialties like forensics, um, addiction, Mm -hmm. sports psychiatry. There's so much, um, so many different ways to find your own niche and you don't even have to do a subspecialty sometimes. So um, yeah, it's a lot of school. It sounds like it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. A lot of training. What's the difference then between a psychologist and a psychiatrist? Yeah, I get this question all of the time. And because I I get a lot of students who are deciding, they say they want to be a psychiatrist or a psychologist, and they're not really sure which direction to go. And I always tell people that if you're going to be a psychiatrist, you have to go to medical school. So you have to recognize that every psychiatrist is a physician first. Okay. So, because the way that we view our patients is more under a medical lens first, whereas a psychologist views them, um, you know, from a psychological perspective, right? Mm -hmm. What was their upbringing like? Um, What are some stressors they're going through? Have they been through trauma? Whereas when a patient walks through my door or my Zoom session, <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking, oh gosh, is there a medical issue that they're experiencing that's making it worse? I'm thinking about genetics and their predisposition first, and then comes the psychological and the social type factors. So um, a lot of the difference is really, we view things from a medical, but also psychological lens, whereas psychologist is mostly psychological perspective. Okay. Psychologists don't prescribe meds or can they? So there is, I don't know which states it is specifically, but there are, I think it's like, and don't quote me on this for whoever's listening, because I probably have the numbers wrong. I feel like it's two states in the United States that allows psychologists to, I think, take a course that allows them to be able to prescribe. But for the most part, no. Do your your specialties work more in like tandem then, would you say, or are both fields still kind of separate? We definitely work together um, because just the way the healthcare system is these days, ideally I would be able to have 45 minutes to an hour 
to spend with my patients to do medication management and full on psychotherapy sessions, Mm -hmm. like 45 minutes to an hour the way therapists, psychologists are able to. So I usually manage the medications, but I like to understand what's going on with my patients psychologically Mm -hmm. and do a little bit of psychotherapy. But then most of my patients see a separate therapist and then we work together as much as possible to coordinate Mm -hmm. and figure out the best. That's usually the best plan. Yeah. What types of illness do you most commonly treat? Are there like Are there like emerging forms caused by social media or is it, you know, like depression and anxiety related to social media and like bullying and stuff like that? Mm -hmm. Just in general, the most common types of cases I see are depression, anxiety and bipolar disorder, just as far as diagnoses. Mm -hmm. I've done some article, I've written some articles and done a couple talks on the impact of social media on mental health. Interestingly, it's not one of the main reasons people are experiencing depression, at least from what I see in my own practice, Mm -hmm. though I feel like maybe child and adolescent psychiatrists, because I mostly treat adults. I kind of wonder if child child psychiatrists or child therapists Mm -hmm. see more of that because I can't imagine growing up during the time, during this age of social media, right? No. You're just forming the sense of self. And if your sense of self is based on 24-7, seeing all these people like your age doing all these different things and being TikTok and YouTube stars, it's like, and all these filters, it's like, what are you learning about your sense of self and your development. Exactly. I was talking to one of my friends about this today because we were talking about, you know, all this stuff going on in in the world and and how we're like, I don't know if I mean like I know I want to be a mom, but like how do you how do you bring up like a young adult in in this world right now? I was like I, f- I feel like my kids, I'm just going to scoop up some flip phones and be like, this is what you got <laughs> until you right. can buy I- your own. <laughs> this is what you're getting. Right. I feel the same way. But then they're going to go and say, oh, my friend has the latest iPhone. Right. And, and you're being Samsung a bad phone. parent because you're not giving me what I want. <laughs> yeah. There's just so much pressure. And I actually did a talk for parents of teens on the impact of social media. And um, a lot of them are afraid to set those boundaries. So there's a spectrum, I feel, of how parents approach this situation. Some are, let you know, let their kids have their phone all day and even right before, you know, they have it 24-7. And then I have some parents who are like, nope, I am. I have my kids' passwords for all of their social media accounts. I restrict it during this time. I take it away um, during meals and also right before bed. And they monitor what's uh, what's on their feed. And mm-hmm. I think, huh, I think, I think that boundaries definitely need to be set. And I think the common thing that um, most parents do agree with is that there has to be some kind of boundary. Like you can't let your kid go. It shouldn't be where your kid is looking at the most, like who knows what they're looking at. I don't know if they're able to access like their adult sites or. Yeah. There's no regulations like that on Instagram. 
Yeah, for sure. So a huge component is just modeling Mm -hmm. the way that we use social media. I don't have kids yet, but I hope to be a mom someday soon. But modeling the way we use it, because if we're on it 24-7 and not engaging, then we can't necessarily expect our kids to do the same if we're just on our phone all the time. And also trying a lot of parents want to try and restrict the use at night and take the phone away because it's been shown to decrease sleep Mm -hmm. and lead to insomnia and increase anxiety, increase depression, (laughs) decrease self-confidence, so many things. So yeah, boundaries are important. Oh, that's such good advice. I, I need to start setting some of those boundaries for myself too. Like, like how we model our phone behavior. I I'm, I'm mindlessly scrolling on my phone into like late in the night. And, and it's like, no, God, it just hurts my eyes. It gives me headaches. Like I need to just put it down at 1030 and go to bed. It's what I need to do. Right. And I feel like it's hard because part of the like your, the entrepreneurial work that you do involves being on social media mm-hmm. and staying up to date and seeing what's trending and stuff like that. But since it can lead to insomnia and increased anxiety and depression and low self-esteem and basically everything I said, even in adults, yeah, then, yeah, trying to limit and put your phone away and being really intentional about that, just just starting with some simple rules can actually make a difference. But I know it's hard during the pandemic also. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Because you're like, well, what is everyone else doing? I'm stuck here. Like, mm-hmm. it's it's a way to, to also connect with people. But I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to throw myself a pity party here either. But like you said, I'm supposed to, you know, stay up to date on like social events and stuff and, and balance that with, you know, my work and what I have to do. And sometimes it keeps me from getting my actual work done and just causes more anxiety because I'm getting, you know, I'll be like yelled at or expected um, by people. I have I have no clue who you are, but like you follow me and I feel like I owe you something <laughs> to not be outraged and um, post about this thing as, as soon as it happens. And it's like, I, I actually responded to someone once and I was like, listen, I was in the OR all day. Like, I'm not on these Reddit boards. I'm not on, you know, Instagram 24-7 waiting for the next scandal to break so I can talk about it right right away. Like, I have a life outside of the Bachelor world. Right. Tangent. I'm okay, I promise. I love venting. Venting is extremely important. Oh, it feels so good. That felt really good for me. Yeah, there's just so many expectations. I mean, you have so many followers. And I think just by being uh, an influencer, just use throwing out that word and just having a big following, people expect you to stay up to date and have a comment about every single thing. But I Mm -hmm. think people forget that you're also a human being and you have to process some of this stuff too yourself before you even know what you're going to post, which is why I feel like I just took a one week break from social media. And I noticed like the moment you see a loss in followers, you're just assume, okay, I'm losing engagement. And then you can kind of feel negative about yourself. But I, we really need those breaks to have a change in our perspective again, and just kind of feel like a human being. Yeah. One of my friends is like just struggling with this so bad right now. She's like, I've I've literally had diarrhea for a month because I'm I'm like, you just need to get off social media. Like, oh goodness. <laughs> we need you need to 
you need you need a break. <laughs> yes, when social media is starting to cause physical symptoms and health problems, it's definitely a good sign yes. to distance yourself from social yeah. media. Just a sec, guys. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. All right, and we're back. Well, you know, speaking of personal mental health, obviously you're a huge advocate for mental health in healthcare. And one thing I've been worrying about a lot this year is a potential like mass exodus from nursing and healthcare mm-hmm. after COVID. I mean, I personally struggled with burnout, you know, but that was after 12 years of like slowly progressively like, you know, working in the NICU and just kind of feeling beat down. Like this has been a year of right. just a constant beat down of healthcare right. professionals. And mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm, I'm scared for them. Yeah, I, gosh, this is the tough part because every time I do, because I do a lot of talks on burnout for healthcare professionals. Yeah. And this is a tough one because I think what some of us are fed by employers is that we need to be more resilient. We have to have resiliency training. We need to Mm -hmm. focus more on self-care, but that is not really the basis of it all. The, the minimal studies that are actually out there on what can improve burnout in healthcare is organizational system type interventions. For example, allowing like a lunch break and being <laughs> forcing a lunch break on people mm-hmm. and making sure that they have appropriate support staff or kind of fixing electronic medical records issues or yeah yeah like child care and providing support for that mm-hmm. and having an open door policy so all these different things that are organizational that most healthcare systems don't provide anyway mm-hmm. and so it's left on the individual I think what happened with the pandemic is it definitely exposed a lot of these issues that were already existing in the first place. Yeah. Because when it came to protecting healthcare workers, obviously with the lack of PPE, even with the vaccine, like people getting fired because they don't know what to do with the vaccine and giving it to people, you know, just to save the vaccine and not waste it. Right. It's like, where is the accountability on the healthcare system to actually take care of the people who are dedicating their lives and their their whole livelihood and well-being. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. So I think what your fear is, is actually quite valid because there were already a lot of nursing shortages even before this because of burnout. Our turnover rate in the NICU, we would lose between like 50 and 70 nurses a year <gasps> in, the, oh, in the NICU. Wow. Nurses in critical care, Um, have the higher, among the higher rates of burnout Mm -hmm. because, I mean, of the types of cases that you see and, I mean, the hours that you work. So, yeah, sad to hear, but it also doesn't surprise me. No. And, I mean, honestly, like, Tennessee is one of the lowest paid states for nursing anyways, but, like, that did not help anything. (laughs) You'd think with how quickly, you know, Nashville's growing. I mean, I think the last, I haven't worked in the NICU in the last two years, but finally in the last two years, they started making bigger like adjustments, right? In Mm. like cost of living. And, you know, the hospital I was working at was trying to be like more competitive with their pay Mm -hmm. finally. If 
finally, mm-hmm. after working there for like eight years, being like, what would help with employee satisfaction? I don't know if you paid us a living wage. <laughs> right. Right. And those are the types of things that can could actually make a difference. But mm-hmm. are they willing to? Um, <laughs> no. That would be nice. But if you covered it, it, all of our health care and like mental right. health care, that'd be awesome. Will you right. know? So just something that yeah. shows appreciation. And I think if there was more focus on providing the right amount of PPE and mm-hmm. You know, just little things like that could have made something a to make difference. working safe. Yes. Instead of being instead of a sign that says heroes work here, heroes work here without any armor. <laughs> right. Exactly. And then I feel like we're just in general, because I see, um, you know, even physicians do this, too. But I think pe- in nurses, especially and I think of all healthcare workers, you see more people trying to have side hustles. Yeah. Yeah. I had at least at least three jobs going at all times as a full-time nurse. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a lot. It is. It's four at some point. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious because I know that's a lot. Oh, my goodness. I know for physicians, a lot more people, because as physicians, the culture was more working full-time. Mm-hmm. But then now we see more having their side gigs also. And for us, it's because of the higher rates of burnout and so, trying to have some type of a, autonomy and not trying to be so dependent on our employers and the healthcare mm-hmm. system. But I would assume for nursing, it's probably the same, would you say? Yeah, I would. I mean, and thankfully, you know, with nursing, there's a lot of different, you know, part-time jobs that you can pick up. I mean, I was, you know, the TV show Nashville was filming here and they needed like set medics. And I was like, well, I'm a nurse. I can do that. So like I would do, I would do that. I would be on set for filming and I'd I'd get paid more there than I would in the ICU. Oh, wow. That says a lot. Yeah. And I mean, I obviously I couldn't do that full time, you know, but, you know, I pick up there. I worked at like an IV infusion clinic. I would have, you know, modeling gigs, you know, every once in a while and, you know, mm-hmm. fit those in. And and I'm not going to lie, at some points there, too, what I would have gotten paid for a modeling gig, um, if it was on a day that I'd have to work, I would do everything in my power to switch off and get that day covered. But if I hadn't called out, like, and I was going to make, you know, $1,500 working one day doing this gig. Yeah, I called mm-hmm. out of work. <laughs> I was like, I'll take the sick day. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's really sad because a lot of us go into the medical field, you know, wanting to help our patients. Right. And, but there's just so many barriers towards just doing our job and we're not appreciated as much anymore. So it, I don't know how sustainable this whole system is. I mean, we could go on about that, but um, definitely there has to be more accountability on, on an organizational level, if we're going to prevent this mass exodus of all healthcare workers, for sure. Yeah. Well, and also on that note, how would you say that like your personal mental health, you know, therapy has helped you with your patients? Oh, yeah. 
I've been in therapy since residency, actually. Um, so I've been in practice for eight years, I think, mm-hmm. as a psychiatrist. And it was actually recommended during my psychiatry residency because my program director saw that um, I was depressed and my grades were going down. And I was mortified when he said that at first, like, I think you need to see a therapist. Because then I thought I'm supposed to treat people with mental health issues, not treat myself. And that was back before I realized, oh yeah, we actually do have to take care of ourselves. And that is what we preach. Yeah. Right. So (laughs) I've been in therapy for maybe eight years, eight years, wait, eight years. Yeah. Wait, 10 years. Oh my goodness, 10 years. (laughs) 10 years off and on. And it's the best investment. And I know it's so hard for us being in the medical field because we're expected to take care of others. Mm -hmm. But I think if all of us were required to have a good therapist at our side, I really think it's obviously not going to cure burnout or, you know, uh, make it go away. But I think by being able to process what we're experiencing, what are, um, and kind of get off our chest. Like, like I'm sure with the pandemic, people having to see death so frequently and all these things that are beyond their control, the expectation to suppress it and not talk about it just builds up more and more. And it starts to manifest physically Mm -hmm. also like, like when people suppress these things, um, they're going to get physically ill, like have um, headaches, um, gastrointestinal problems, or they're going to be more prone to illness because their immune system goes down and ability to fight cold, flu, or you know, in- any type of infection. So I feel like therapy at least allows me personally to not hold these things in because I find that when I skip therapy and don't process things as much. I'm more prone to having headaches and being really irritable, not sleeping. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just, I just never fully understood um, the, the positive impact that having a therapist to process some of these stuff, these things that we see on our day-to-day basis in our careers could actually be really helpful to, yeah, to kind of, continue to be able to do the work that we do. And, you know, we also have stuff going on in our personal lives too. Right. So right. processing that. Yeah. You know, that would be a really unique addition to hospital units is if each unit had their own designated therapist. Oh. Hmm. You know? I wonder if places do that. I, I don't know. But if they don't, they should do it. I mean, that For would sure. be... Like someone that you could check in with like after a shift or, you know, just someone that yeah. you like for free. You know, I know there's like right. employee so health, who's accessible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know there's employee yeah. health. You still have to make appointments with them and they can only, I mean, like I used employee health for a while, but you could only have like three sessions with them for free. Mm-hmm. And then they'd be like, okay, you need to go and see this other person now. Like you've used up all of, you've used up your quota here. Now you have to use your insurance to pay here. <laughs> right. Yeah. A lot, a lot of people use that service, but it's very limited. And, mm-hmm. and then you also question whether or not, okay, can I be totally open and honest mm-hmm. in these sessions? For the most part, they are. I don't want to scare anybody, but it's just something that you think about. Can you be totally open about the stressors that's going on right. with your in your job. Mm-hmm. Um, but that would be a great idea. I really wonder if that's available anywhere. I don't know. 
Maybe we should start a hospital. And like, that'll be a part of our framework. (laughs) That would be amazing. I am looking forward to the day that (laughs) healthcare workers just kind of build their own hospital system. Me too. I think that's a great idea. I don't know when that'll be (laughs) or if we'll see that for a while, but I think that would be the ideal situation. Yeah. Oh my God. No one, no one can do this. I mean, well, they can, they can do it. I was going to be like, we've coined it here first. (laughs) We're going to patent it. (laughs) Yeah. I just, we don't have the funds yet. No, (laughs) definitely. COVID has decreased my funds (laughs) Mm -hmm. tenfold. Oh. Me too. I, and I have so many more questions for you. We might have to do a part two if you, if you okay. have any time. But I also yeah. want to, you know, talk a bit about you, you used to be Freud in fashion and you changed your IG handle. Oh, yeah. Are you, like, what kind of went into transitioning your, like, Instagram like that? Oh, yeah. So this kind of connects to your whole transition also with trying to post stuff that your bachelor community would like to now what you, you're really passionate about, right? So right. that's my similar line of thinking and what happened transformationally for me was because I started Freud and Fashion blog 10 years ago when I was a psychiatry resident and I was lonely and I was in Oregon and I was trying to find a way to have a creative outlet, but also connect with other people. And that's actually when fashion blogs started taking off. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Around that time. So I thought, Ooh, let's make it cute. (laughs) I'm into Sigmund Freud. I'm into psychoanalysis. I'm a psychiatry resident. Let's make it Freud and fashion. It's, it's really brilliant. And you have a oh, lot thanks. of really great um, blog posts and stuff on there. Oh, thanks. I haven't been as consistent with blogging just because um, I feel like other, so many different platforms on social media. But right. my initial blog post from 2010 talks about these outfits that I would try and pick out. And it was back when I actually cared about fashion and mm-hmm. how I looked <laughs> back then. And then also talking about just what I learned as a resident. So all the, I was more, I'm more towards psychoanalysis, which is kind of like Sigmund Freud is the, pretty much the founder of that. So I would try and explain what's psychoanalysis and what's psychotherapy. Mm -hmm. But over time, I, you know, I, I, I'm still tend to lean towards psychoanalysis, but I also incorporate numerous types of schools of psychotherapy, like cognitive behavioral therapy and um, just, just more eclectic. And I talk about just, you know, how to help people advocate for themselves and their mental health, in addition to stuff that I'm passionate about. So I found myself having pressure since it's Freud and fashion Mm -hmm. to just talk about Freudian stuff, but also be fashionable. And I thought like, I wouldn't post sometimes because I thought, oh my gosh, my outfit, like I'm in sweats. I don't (laughs) think this is fashionable. It's COVID chic. COVID chic, right. But even, I mean, it looked like something that I got like a free (laughs) t-shirt. So I decided it was hindering me too much in my creativity and what I wanted Mm. to post. So I decided it was time to change because I've obviously evolved and changed and grown in the last 10 years. So that led for me to do it. And actually it was very freeing, I have to say. That's great. Yeah. Well, and that's what it should be. That I mean, that's also like a sign, you know, that you 
you did the right thing for for you and your own growth. Yeah. Because you felt so free. Right. Because like you said, we can't keep, if this is going to be something sustainable for us, Mm -hmm. we have to be open to taking those risks. And it is a balance between doing some posts that you know that your followers want to see, but also something that's true to you if Mm -hmm. it's going to evolve with you. Right. Well, where can people find you now? So on Instagram, (laughs) I'm... So it's Dr. Vania Manapod is my IG handle. Oh, and then my, I'm on TikTok and Twitter and Facebook and that I kept as Freud and fashion. Awesome. Well, Vania, I've loved this conversation so much and I really, I, I hope if you have any more time, you know, in the next couple of weeks and you want to bop on for like another like 30 minutes or something and we can do a follow-up or I can finish asking questions I would love that thank you so much for for taking the time and and speaking with me today I really appreciate it oh yeah I would love that too time flew by it really did I was like I was like oh that's the best conversation (laughs) yeah no and those um those just make for just really great episodes too and I think about that as as a podcaster I'm like Obviously, like I enjoy the conversations, but like there's some, you know, that are are so easy, you know, and you're like, oh, my God, shit. Like we've been talking for like two hours. I meant to only record for an hour. Okay, two episodes. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But no, this is this has been delightful. I personally really love everything that you're you're posting on on Instagram. I have so many more questions, you know, (laughs) related to like sexual mental health and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. We will have to save that for another day. Oh, yay. Thank you for having me. I mean, I have been following the podcast since 2019. Is that when you started something like yes. two years ago? Yeah. yeah, I can't believe it. This is year three. This is season three we're starting. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Congrats. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. It was a big journey for myself, but. <laughs> yeah. No, you do an amazing job. Well, thank you, Vania. I appreciate that. And well, listeners, you're just going to have to have to wait a little bit for the next episode, but it's going to be another great one. (laughs) Yes. Stay tuned. I mean it. I'm dead serious. I need an episode two. So I guess consider this the unofficial official part one with Dr. Manipod. (laughs) Please, if you aren't already, go follow her on Instagram at Dr. Vania Manipod. That's D-R-V-A-N-I-A-M-A-N-I-P-O-D. Um, on TikTok and Twitter, it's at Freud and Fashion. Thank you so much to those who listen and are helping me build this incredible community. I see all of you. I love all of you. Till next week. Womed out. Ooh.